We're going to continue our series in the, uh, the, the book of Genesis this morning. We're all the way in chapter 27. So as I told you when we started the series, we're not going chapter by chapter, but we're going to, we're going to grab seven chapters through the, well, seven sermons through the whole book and uh, cover various portions. And this morning we're going to be looking at the life of, uh, of Isaac and, and Jacob and Esau and, and Rebekah in Genesis 27. Before we jump back in there, though, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord once more and ask Him for help in the hearing of His Word. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so easily distracted. We are so easily um, comforted by lesser things. So we pray right now, for these next moments together, while Your Word is preached, that Your Holy Spirit would arrest our hearts that he would, he would grab our affections, that He would open our ears, He would open our eyes, that He would, he would move us to, to be able to see these, yeah, these words that You have given to us. That we would enter into this story and we would see ourselves in the midst of it. We would not put ourselves above it as spectators or as critics, but rather that we would come to be instructed by your word and that you would do it in such a way that you pierce us to the heart and that you you convict us in areas that we need to be convicted of and that you would encourage us in areas that we need to be encouraged and that God you would even work the the gracious miracle of conversion this morning for those who do not know you so God would you not allow the evil one to steal one seed that falls upon the hearts this morning would you please father for your glory and our good, move in these moments as we hear your word. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm not sure your background, but I became a Christian when I was 21. And uh, before that time, I would have said that I had read the Bible, but I never had really read the Bible at all. I think I'd heard some of the Bible read before because I had been to some church services and this or that. But So when I sat down to, to really begin reading the Bible... I, I was a little bit surprised, because I think what I expected to come to see when I came to the Bible was, was really just a bunch of religious people who were kind of all, you know, squeaky clean, who kind of had life together, who were kind of doing things really good, and that God was going to hold up and say, hey, these are the ones that you really want to be like, uh, you need to get your act together and be like these people. Uh, but that's not at all what I found, very much kind of the, the opposite. So my experience was very much like the experience of the great theologian Homer Simpson. Whenever he took to reading the Bible one time, he, he read it, he got done with it, and he put it down. He goes, you know, everybody in that book is really messed up, except this one guy. Jesus, of course. And that's really what the Bible's all about, is that, I mean, God dispels really quickly uh, that people are the ones who have it all together. But rather, the story of the Bible is, is how a bunch of misfits and rebels and people who really don't care about God and who don't have it together at all, how God in His sovereign mercy works in the midst of all of their messes to bring about purposes that put His glory and beauty and majesty on display. And this morning as we come to the book of Genesis in chapter 27, we're going to see one of those kind of stories where nobody in the story looks good. Everybody's real colors, their true colors are put on display, and the only one at the end that looks good, as it were, is, 
is God who works in the midst of their mess to carry out his perfect purposes to bring salvation for his people. So if you have your Bible, come with me to Genesis chapter 27. We're going to be going through this whole chapter together. If you don't have a Bible, there's some that are provided for you right in front of you in the pew rack there. You can just open it up. It's on page 21. We're going to kind of read through this whole section here, and it'll help you to have, have this, this story open before you. Just to kind of catch you up on where we are in the book of Genesis, we began in a perfect world where God created Adam and Eve, but they rebelled against God, and God brought a curse and sent them out from the Garden of Eden. But as they went out with cursed, they also went out with a promise that God would send one, a seed of woman, an offspring from the woman who would come and who would crush the serpent's head and would bring salvation for people. And really the rest of the Old Testament is about who is that person? Who is this Savior who's going to come? And God has been tracing for us through the midst of all these rebels' lives how he is bringing about that promise. We saw that as people multiplied on the earth, sin increased, so God washed the world clean and saved a man named Noah and his family. After that, there was the Tower of Babel where everybody was going to make a name for themselves, but God cursed them and sent them out with many languages, and everybody went out ignorant and in darkness. But God pulled out an idolater named Abram, and he said, I'm going to make a promise to you, and he made a covenant to him, a covenant where he said, I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to give you offspring. And through those offspring, I am going to bring one who is going to bless the entire world. And I will bless you, and I will curse those who set themselves against you. Well, Abraham is not going to live forever, so God gives him a promised child. Abraham actually has two children, Ishmael and Isaac. But Isaac is the one who is chosen. We see that clearly in chapter 21 of Genesis. Isaac gets married uh, to a beautiful woman, it says, named Rebekah in Genesis chapter 24. Then in Genesis 25, Abram dies off, and he leaves everything to Isaac, who is the chosen one. Then Isaac and Rebekah, uh, they find out that they are pregnant, and they're pregnant with twins. That in her womb is our two children, Jacob and Esau. And the backstory on that is going to be important for our story this morning. So actually, if you look over at Genesis 25, verse 20, you're going to see... Let's just pick it up here and, and get some of this backstory before we get our main idea and jump into 27. You look down at verse 20, it says, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife. Verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Which, if you notice down in verse 26, God's going to tell us that Isaac was 60 when they had these children which I'm not quick at math, but that's 20 years that he prayed for her barrenness to be removed and for them to have a child. Have you ever prayed for something for 20 years? Some of you this morning are waiting on the Lord for things. You do not wait alone. God's people wait upon his promises. Well, verse 22 here, the children struggled together in her, and she said, why is this happening to me? And then verse 23, the Lord is going to give a prophecy here. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older, who's going to end up being Esau, shall serve the younger, who's going to end up being Jacob. Verse 24, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, 
all his body was like a hairy cloak. So he comes out like a chia pet. So she called his name Esau, which means hairy. Then verse 26, afterward his brother came out with, with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, which means heel catcher. It's used of someone who, who trips somebody so that you can get ahead of them. So this guy is sneaky. So you got two children, fuzzy and sneaky. And God, God says that sneaky, Jacob, is going to be the chosen one. He's the one that I am going to uniquely bless. So verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. So he's your Bass Pro Shops, Bear Grills kind of man. While Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. So he's your indoors guy. He's a poet. He's your classical music Sipping on honey lattes. I like honey lattes, but that's where he is, okay? He's, he's verse 27. You got Esau and Jacob, two very different brothers. Verse 28. Esau loved, I'm sorry, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. This is where you would cue the music and it would dun, dun, dun. Because this is going to be something that is going to really drive a wedge into this family of the, ch- the chosen people of God. We are going to see here, we are, we are introduced here to the mess that will be the family of God. In verses 29 through 34, we see that Esau comes in from hunting and Jacob took advantage of it. He's cooking lunch there and Esau's hungry. So Jacob sells, he, or Esau sells his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of of Sham, uh, uh, Campbell's Chunky Soup, right? He's hungry, and he says, I'll sell it to you. And Jacob shows himself right here to be a swindler. And Esau is going to show himself to be disinterested in spiritual things. The Scriptures are going to say that he's going to trade future glory for present pleasure. So with that backdrop, we've got to be wondering, how is God going to work it, out His purposes in the midst of this mess? In the midst of all this deceit and all this favoritism and this rivalry and this backbiting and this backstabbing and all of these lies, how is God going to bring about His purposes, ultimately to bring a Messiah, but to bring about His purposes of blessing them? How's He going to do that? What we're going to see this morning, our big idea is this, that God's faithful providences in salvation always prevail over people's sinful deceit. God's faithful providences and salvation always prevail over people's sinful deceit. And what we're going to do as we come to 27 here, as we, chapter 27, is we're going we're to watch these five scenes of a story unfold. An actual historical event that God has seen to say it's, it's important enough to, to record it and keep it in the sacred scriptures for thousands of years so people like you and I can be instructed. We're going to watch these five scenes unfold, make some observations as we do, and then draw a few applications for ourselves at the end. So, Genesis chapter 27. Scene one is Isaac and Esau. Verse one. This is verses one through four here. When Isaac was old, the Bible says he's 137. At this point, Isaac was old 
His eyes were dim so that he could not see. And he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son? And he answered him, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Remember it said he loved that game? Well, verse 4, And prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, that's your first, this is the first scene. And we see here Isaac. Isaac, the chosen one given to Abram. He thinks he's on his way out. Where the fact is, he actually is going to live 43 more years. So we never know how much longer we're going to live. Whether it's many more or much fewer than we thought. But we're told here his eyes were dim. He was, he was so blind, in fact, that he wouldn't be able to tell which son was which when they were standing right in front of his face. But he's not just become dull physically, but even worse, he has become spiritually blind as well. His heart has become calloused to God. Because what should he know about his, the sons Jacob and Esau. Who's the one that God said would be blessed? Not Esau, but Jacob. Isaac here, who was the chosen and blessed one, he sets himself against the purposes of God. He knew the prophecy that the older would serve the younger. He knew that Esau had sold his birthright. He knew that the blessing belonged to Jacob because God had given it. He knew that Esau was both morally and divinely disqualified from being this guy. But he didn't care. He'd gotten to the place in his life where pride ruled in his heart and he wanted the blessing to go to Esau. And this is really a sad scene when you, when you look at it. If, if Isaac here... Was, was so certain of his death. Why would pleasing God be so far from his mind here? It seems that his, his fear of God and his hunger for heaven have been dulled because he has cultivated his appetite for worldly pleasures. In his old age, he has been con- he's become controlled by what you might call creature comforts. He loves food. Particularly food that Esau makes. Three times in this chapter, and once in chapter 25, he talks about the delicious food that I love. This man, he was tied, his affections were tied to whatever would give him comfort in this life. Now, it seems utterly stupid for someone to set himself against God because he wants something to eat. That seems pretty dumb, doesn't it? But this is not written here, and God does not preserve it here, for us to, to sit back and, and just watch Isaac's foolishness. Rather, we, we must remember here that the word is intended to serve as a mirror for us as well. Because is he the only one who would ever trade God for a piece of food? No, we saw in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve would trade God for a piece of fruit. Can, 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 
Can people who know about the glories of God, can they throw away the sweetness of Christ for the passion of a sexual fling? Could, 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 they, could they trade God's will in order to get their name on a VIP list? Could, could, you, could you throw away all of the promises and work against all the things that you know please God in order to get your dream job or to keep your dream job? Could, could, you, could you be silent about the very Savior who shed his blood for you because you're so concerned about your own reputation and people not liking you? Could, could people who live in God's glorious universe and have such glorious rev- revelation about who he is, could they be willing to trade their souls for an extra thousand square feet in a home or a new car? Could that happen? You bet. You see, this, this example here of Isaac in his old age being sown, his soul sown to the comforts of the world, are intended to, to caution us. To remind us that what you sow, you will reap. And a soul that is often given to immediate comforts. And immediate pleasures will grow cold toward heaven's promised pleasures. This is one of the things that was scariest for me during the week of prayer and fasting that our church just had. I found myself awakened to how much I pacify myself throughout the week when I'm tired or when something's difficult. How quickly I'll run to go look at sports or, or news or, or whatever it may be or for there to be sinful temptations that seem like it's just worth it for a little while and just indulge and just eat whatever I want or go buy something. I saw revealed how much I pacify myself with worldly comforts when things get difficult, rather than turning to prayer and asking for God's promises to draw my affections and my hope upward and to root me in heaven. Friends, do not be deceived. You cannot drift toward heaven. Even the promised child can grow cold here. You can put your desires ahead of God. And I want you to know this, that the longer you live that way, the more difficult it will be to get out of the ruts of self-indulgence. We train our flesh to find refuge somewhere. And Jesus says, let it be Him. But everything else in the world says, find it somewhere else. And you've got to know that this doesn't just affect you. Because Esau, everybody busts on Esau for for selling his, his birthright for a pot of soup. But where did he learn that from? Where did he learn the value that that food over God's delight means something? Seems that the apple didn't fall far from the tree here. His father Isaac modeled it for him. Now Esau is responsible for himself, but Isaac did not help to cultivate a heart in their family where God's will was the answer no matter what. And you see here, it's going to spread, and it becomes, it shows itself to be a family epidemic where everybody in this house is going to show themselves to only be after what they want while God's pleasure is set aside. Which brings us to scene two. 
Rebekah, and Jacob. Verse, verse 5 down through 13. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and to bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring to me two young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. See, the walls in those tents were thin in those days. And as an older deaf man, a nice way to say it is volume control probably wasn't on for Isaac. So he's speaking loudly, likely, and Rebecca's right over there, and she hears it. And what it should read right here is that when, when Rebecca heard these words of her husband Isaac, her heart was broken because her husband had set himself against the purposes of God. So she prayed and she pleaded with him to not do such an evil thing. But that's not what it says. Because sadly, faith doesn't mark her here. Rather, rather than go in and try and correct his sin or point Jacob to trust in God's promises, which cannot fail, she seeks rather to begin plotting, to control the situation through her her own sinfulness. Sadly, rather than help her husband, she's going to set her heart to deceive him. And rather than using her parental influence to stir Jacob's faith, he's going to stoke those scheming skills that he's had since he was born. And as Jacob hears this, it should read, but Jacob said to his mother, Mother, fear not. God has made a promise, and his promise always comes to pass. We do not need to deceive and manipulate our way to blessings. God is faithful. We can trust him. But that's not what it says. Verse 11. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a chia pet. He is a hairy man. And I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. You'll notice here that neither of their responses have anything to do with pleasing God or fearing God. The only thing that they're worried about here is whether their little plan will work to get what they want. Jacob is is worried because his brother is hairy. And he's afraid that Isaac would be able to catch on and end up cursing him instead of blessing him. And then Rebecca here turns the knife toward herself and says, I'll take the consequences, just do what I say. She's a manipulator here. And tragically, because of this move, Rebecca is going to try to, to save her son, as it were, the one that she loves. But it's going to end up that after this day, she's actually never going to see him again. She's going to lose him because of this. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. See, Isaac calls Esau to obey his voice. 
And Rebecca calls Jacob to obey her voice. But nobody in this whole story is worried about obeying the voice of God. Scene 3. Jacob and Isaac. Verse 14. So he went and he took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garment of Esau, her older son, which were with her in, uh, in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Now, in a, if, this is, if you had a picture Bible here, this would be an absolutely ridiculous scene. You've got, I mean, Rebecca dresses up Jacob in a Chewbacca outfit and then, and then gives him this, you know, cafeteria tray filled with, with this food that daddy loves and says, okay, let's go get this blessing. I mean, it's, a, it's the silliest thing. When you read this, you're like, this is absolutely dumb. Why is he, why is he doing this? And you just imagine all the angels. Like, so John and I talk about this sometimes. Like, the angels looking down like, good night. What are they doing? Well, it's intended to make us shake our heads at their foolishness and their lack of faith. But I think it's also intended to make us do a little bit of introspection, isn't it? I wonder how much our lives are marked by manipulation. By cover-ups. By attempts to get what we want by avoiding God's clearly ordained path. And this past week, I was confessing sin to, to a friend. And it was, it was amazing how what I said was, this is what happened. But the fact was, was that this happened kind of like this. And I had, I had just totally painted it up to make it look better than what it really was. I had just lied. And I, I had just read a chapter. So Gordy and I are reading through this book called The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. And in there he talks about the deceitfulness of the heart. And it was just like my heart just showed its colors. It wants to do anything but be honest. We are so prone to manipulation and trickery and deceit and dressing ourselves up and pretending that we're something that we're not. It's a bunch of hypocrisy is what it is. It's easy to look at this and just be like, oh, he's a loser. Well, we're all losers. We all do this. And it looks different for everybody, but nobody escapes this. And and it really does, when sin is brought into the light, it looks absolutely ridiculous. Can you imagine watching the security camera later on this show? Like, Jacob just thinking, oh man, what was I doing? Sin always seems smart in the moment, but foolish in the light. Well, verse 18. So he went in to his father, and he said, Father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And what you're going to notice here is that Isaac, though he's blind, he senses something's off. Five times he's going to give some hints that he's not really sure that this is actually Esau. Who are you, my son? Verse 19, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, 
How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. You see what he does right here? He invokes God into his trickery. Last night we read through this story with the kiddos, and whenever we got to this, this, this part right here, one of the kiddos goes, oh no. <laughs> I was like, what? They go, That's bad. I was like, why? They use God to further a lie. I was like, yeah, good observation. It's exactly what they do. They take God's name in vain right here, empties it of all of his holiness, disregards it as the sovereign ruler who's going to bring about purposes, and he rather uses it to rubber stamp his agenda. Verse 21, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. This is the third time. He's like, I'm not buying it. Verse 22, So Jacob went near to his father who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, but his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. Then he said, bring bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. If you've been reading through Genesis here, you you may notice that, that this is very different than somebody earlier in Genesis. Before Isaac will get to spiritual business of blessing, he wants to get to his meal first because that's where his love really is. Which is quite unlike in chapter 24 where Abraham's servant, you remember, he was offered a meal by Laban and he said, he pushed it aside, he said, we're not going to eat until the Lord's business is done. But Isaac here shows once again that he's controlled by his passions. Verse 26, Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garment, and he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. You see that little shot there at at Jacob? Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So Isaac here calls down the blessing of God on Jacob, just as God said it would happen. This is, we'll, we'll come back to this, but God, God outsmarts him here. Isaac passes on the family blessing through this, this mini-ceremony here over a, over a pot roast. Their sinful plan worked. You, you, can, just, you can just see it, right? So this, they pulled off the blessing heist. I mean, to perfection. This is Ocean's Eleven. They crushed it. I'm not recommending that movie. I don't remember what's in it. But I'm saying it's like that. The, the costume... It deceived Isaac. Jacob received blessing by deception. The sinful plan worked. Rebecca was in the other room, like she's doing what she's doing her thing. You know, she's got her dance going. She's excited. She's like, it worked. And then Jacob thanks Pops and he bounces. He leaves. And he scoots just in time. 
Scene four. Isaac and Esau. Verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. I mean, close. Like doors changing, right? Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Verse 31. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat his son's game that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? And he answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Verse 33. Then Isaac trembled very violently. The Hebrews stacked there. It it means he trembled with great excessive trembling. He's physically shaken. And he said, Who was it then that hunted game and and brought it to me? And I I, I ate it all before you came, and I, I blessed him. Yes, he shall be blessed. His secret plans have failed. What was designed in the dark had been exposed by the light of God's providence. God always, hear this, God always gets the last laugh. Listen, Psalm 1826 says, To the crooked you show yourself shrewd. What that means is you can't outsmart God. They're in there, they've cooked up this perfect plan, and God is in heaven being like, nope. He knew what Isaac would do. He knew, God knew, that he had devised this plan. So God had devised a plan to carry it out in such a way that God's wisdom would trump their wisdom. God used Isaac and Esau's evil to further his own good purposes. God is amazing. He outsmarts them every time. He always gets We're going to see more of this in a few weeks when we do the story of Joseph. But at the end of Genesis, Joseph's speaking to his brothers, and he says in Genesis 50, 20, what you intended for evil, God used for good. Isaac's word of purpose fell apart, but God's word of purpose prevailed as it always does. Well, same scene here, verse 34. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. One time with the blessing, with the the porridge and the uh, birthright. And now he took took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Verse 37, Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you. And all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. So Esau here is is crying. He has tears and he's pleading for a blessing. Now this is really important. 
Why is Esau crying here? What's he crying about? What should he be crying about? He should be saying, oh, Father, we sinned. We've known from before my birth that God Almighty had set his affection upon Jacob. And he, we've known, Father, that we cannot outsmart God. We've known, Father, that his blessings are good and his ways will prevail. We should have never set ourself against God and his good purposes. And they should both be weeping over their sin. But that's not what he's weeping about. He cried here because he missed out on the blessing, not because he sinned against God. You see, Esau hated the consequences of his sin, but he cared very little about the one that he ultimately sinned against. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 describes it this way. 2 Corinthians 7.10. This is one of those verses I often think about in counseling. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There's a great difference between godly grief where your, your heart is oriented like David that, that uh, John preached about last week, where his, his heart is oriented that I've sinned against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, Psalm 51. It starts there rather than the grief that says, my life is ruined. It's very different kinds of grief. Hebrews 12 picks up on this. It says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, Genesis 27, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent of selling his birthright, though he sought it, the blessing, with tears. He is crying here, but he's got no tears about godly grief. So this is where I would ask you this morning, What kind of grief most normally characterizes you? Do you usually just think of the consequences and how now you're in trouble with somebody or how now something's not going to work out for you? Does it always begin there for you? And even if it does begin there, do you you quickly move to say, but God, first let's deal with this with me and you. Does Do your confessions ever move that way? Does your weeping and grieving over brokenness move that way, vertically, towards the heavens, toward the Holy One, before whom Isaiah stood and said, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a man, a people of unclean lips. Just remember that a day is coming when those who trade God for sin will cry out, But those cries will be heard in vain. It will be too late. Well, verse 39, Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Notice here that Jacob doesn't change his mind. He doesn't go back and say, okay, well, we're going to redo this thing. He doesn't call Jacob back in and say, okay, off with the blessing on you and on with the blessing on you. He doesn't do that, which Hebrews chapter 11 actually says is an act of faith. 
Hebrews 11.20, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. I think Jacob here reserves, resigns himself to the fact that God's purposes will ultimately prevail. Fifth and final scene, the whole family. Verse 41, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, meaning dad's going to die soon, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were heard to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. By the way, I couldn't get past that for a few moments this week in study. Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. I wonder how many of you this morning might be caught up in bitterness toward another person such that what comforts you every day is that someday they might get what they have coming, that someday you might see their downfall, that someday somebody will do to them what really needs to happen. I want you to know that's controlling you and displeasing to God. It's a very dangerous posture, that posture of bitterness and unforgiveness. It will consume you and destroy you. Well, verse 43, Now therefore, my son, obey his voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and will bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. Meaning Esau had married two non-believing women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So we come to the end of this, this chapter here and we see that Isaac is broken. Rebekah is broken. Esau is broken. Jacob is broken. Sin does this to everybody. It seems wise, but there's always a payday. And Jacob here is sent out of the land. In chapter 28, we see that Isaac blesses Jacob again and sends him off to Padan Aram with Laban. And Rebekah sees him for the last time. We'll never see him again. Now, as, as this chapter concludes, one of the things we need to know is this before we move in and consider some applications for us. Though God endures with sinners, He will never endorse their sin. Though God endures with sinners, He never endorses their sin. He will use Jacob's creative deceitfulness, but He will not put a stamp of approval on it. Let me show you what I mean. In chapters 28 through 31, 20 years pass. 20 years. Then in chapter 32, Jacob is traveling, and he's about to come into the territory of his brother Esau. And he gets terrified. So on the night before, in Genesis chapter 32, verse uh, 22, we see that Jacob is alone, and somebody shows up on the scene. He's called a man here. In the book of Hosea, he's called an angel of the Lord. In verse 30, he says, I've seen the face of God. So he's, he's either some pre-incarnate 
appearance of God or it's an angel of the Lord who represents God. And, and Jacob, the trickster, starts wrestling with this divine representative. And as they're wrestling, he says they go on all night and then, then this angel of the Lord, he says it's time for this fight to be over. And you remember what he does to him? He goes Bo Jackson on him and he pops his hip out of place. And he does it by touching him, just touches him. You know, I mean, and that's, that's the strongest joint in your body and just pops it out with a single finger here. And the divine representative said to Jacob, let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Hosea 12 says that he sought his favor. So he's striving now with God in prayer. <laughs> he says to this, this is so important. He says to the divine representative, I won't let you go until you bless me. And then what does it say in verse 27? What does God say back to him? What is your name? What's your name? You see, Jacob will not get a blessing this time by lying. Jacob will not get a blessing this time through manipulation or through dressing up or pretending to be somebody else. God says, no, I'm going to break you. I'm going to bring you to the end of yourself. And I'm going to get you to cry out in humility and honesty. So now he does. And Jacob cries out to God for the blessing and God gives him mercy. And then God says, I'm going to rename you now. I'm going to name you Israel now. So Jacob's new name is Israel, which means strive with God. No longer is Jacob striving against God, but now he will strive with God in prayer and for God and his purposes in faith. What God does to Jacob right here is he makes him a new man. Jacob will never be the same after this. He will forever walk with a limp that God graciously gave him to teach him that you cannot manipulate and, and lie your way through life and think that you will be blessed by God. But rather, he graciously breaks him. Listen, you've got to know this, friends, that, that God can do this to anyone at any time. He can break us and humble us and teach us not to lean on our own wisdom and our own plans and our own sinful ways. This is not just a story. God uses real historical stories like this, though, to teach us lessons. This is intended to invoke a response from us. So what I want to do for these last couple of minutes together is I want us to think about what the gospel, the good news of God's gracious breaking of us and then restoring us through forgiveness because of what Christ has done would say to each of these people who have been in this story. First to Esau. I think one of the lessons that the gospel would say to Esau here would be, and people like Esau would be, do not harden yourself against God. You see, Esau became bitter because God had not treated him the way that he felt he deserved to be treated. Some of you this morning, if you're honest, might find yourself in the same situation. You would never want to say that you're like Esau, but deep down, you feel like God has given you the short end of the stick, and you are angry in your heart toward him, and it, and it has moved you 
yes to church this morning, but you can be here this morning and your heart can be hardened against him. And Esau takes it upon himself to live out that bitterness by taking two unbelieving wives despite his parents. I can't tell you how many kids I've seen do that. Not necessarily to take two unbelieving wives, but have done whatever it would to bring mommy and daddy pain. He became murderous in his heart toward his own brother. So much so that his descendants, the Edomites, became the enemies of Israel. And so much so that one particular Edomite king, a guy named Herod, would preside over the death of Jesus, who was one of Jacob's descendants. If you find yourself this morning to be disappointed at best or angry at worst toward God, I want to encourage you not to follow the way of Esau. In the end, Esau is responsible for his own responses to God and for his own sin. We do not get a pass because circumstances in life. That does not remove our responsibility before God. So the gospel would say, it would warn you, do not follow the way of Esau, but come unto Jesus and find mercy. To Rebecca, particularly a word for the ladies. And yes, I realize men can struggle with these things as well. But ladies, you do not need to resort your lives to being manipulating and controlling. Rebecca couldn't see a way forward without taking things into her own hands. She wasn't prayerful here. She wasn't honest here. She wasn't patient here. But rather, she was crafty and calculating. Sisters, you don't have to follow that way of Rebecca. When you are fearful, you don't have to take things into your own hands and try and make it work. You don't have to do that. People of faith like Rebecca can find help. Listen, there is forgiveness for your manipulation. There is forgiveness for your favoritism and for lying and for craftiness and for a lack of fear of God. So sisters, this morning, if you have found yourself to be giving yourself over to manipulation and controlling things in ways that are deceitful, in ways that would not please God and would not be in line with His will, I would call you this morning to turn from that sin and to come to the cross and to see Jesus who died on the cross for those kinds of sins and who rose that you might know forgiveness. And then Isaac. Men, there's, there's lessons for us to be learned here as well, sisters also, but men in particular, there's a better way than the way of worldliness. This man was the chosen one. He had been blessed so much, was so strong and wise and such, such, he had such potential to use all of these good gifts for the glory of God, but all he could think about doing was using his prosperity and his opportunities in order to sow himself into comforts here. Brothers, there is a higher calling than living for creature comforts. Don't cultivate spiritual apathy. Don't let your belly be your God. Don't allow your ambition to be your idol. Don't make your portfolio your purpose. Avoid this example of Isaac here. Let it show you your own ways of rebellion. 
and know that there is forgiveness for you as well. That if you will set aside your will and surrender to God's, that at the cross, at the cross you can know that Jesus died for that worldliness and that He rose to give you life. And then finally, Jacob. This is a lesson for all of us. For, for Jacob's, all of us, we need to know that, that to receive the blessing of God, we indeed must be covered. But not in our own trickery, or not in our own religious pedigree, or some kind of moral accomplishments. Because unlike Isaac, God the Father is not blind. He knows all things, and He sees all things. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. God sees all of our trickery. But there is hope. Because God gives good news in the Gospel. And the good news is this, is that to be blessed by the Father, to receive the eternal blessing of eternal life with Him, Our sins must be covered by a garment that is not our own and is not our brother's and is not given to us by our mother. But rather, we need a flawless garment of righteousness. And God will give it by grace. Hear this from Isaiah 61.10. This is the prophet Isaiah. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. You see, there's a way to stand before God despite all of our trickery, despite all of our deceitfulness, all of our worldliness, all of our sinful rebellion. There's a way to stand right before Him, and that way is through Christ. The One who came in perfect righteousness and died on the cross to take all of our unrighteousness and then rose from the dead and now When we repent and turn to Him in faith, He will give His own righteousness to us that we might be clothed so that we could stand before the Father and trust in full faith that His blessing shall be ours. Not because of our accomplishments, but because of His mercy. And for those who know that mercy this morning, one of the joys in this life and for the life to come is is this. That we can know that God's faithful providences and salvation always prevail over people's sinful deceit. Because of God's sovereign, electing love, we can take comfort. You heard Micah read it just a moment ago from Romans 9. When Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls, she was told, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. God had purposes for Jacob to show him mercy. And it is true of all those who will trust in the one who came from Jacob's line, who is Jesus Himself. This is a wonderful truth for God's children. God, for some unimaginable reason, chose to set His affection upon you if you are in Christ. Just as He did with Jacob. Before we were born, before you could do good or bad, 
simply in order that God's purpose of election would come to pass. He showed you mercy if you were in Christ rather than wrath. He showed you compassion rather than condemnation for our sin. Brothers and sisters, the doctrine of election, which is illustrated throughout the Bible by Jacob and Esau, it serves as the sweetest of assurances for God's people. This doctrine is, it is the pillow on which the children of God rest their head. Are there mysteries here? Of course. What does it mean that God would hate Esau? That's a fair question. But why would God love Jacob? That's a better question. Jacob didn't have it together. How could God love any of us? That right here is the foundation of our joy. That God, for some unknown reason, would set his mercy upon rebels like Jacob and us. If you want to know more about that Romans 9 passage, I preach two sermons on it. You can go and listen to it. I go into great detail about everything uh, that you might want to think about there, or at least the beginning of a conversation. But in conclusion, I want to say this, that this should guard your assurance. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, when the evil one whispers in your ear all of the ways that you were like Jacob and Esau and Rebekah and Isaac and reminds you of all of the reasons that God should not love you, all you can say is, yes, that is true. And know that the, God, the devil is preaching the gospel to you. Because the good news is that Jesus comes for sinners who don't have it all together. For those who will turn from their sin and trust in him. In Genesis 27 here, we are intended to be amazed that though everyone in the story seems to be doing all they can to avoid God's will, in the end, everything goes exactly according to God's will. His faithful providences always prevail. We can do nothing to thwart his promises. But know this, that that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for our evil, that there aren't consequences for our sin. Yes, we may dance in glory with some of the people in this story this morning, but their lives were marked by all kinds of hurt and pain because of the rebellions against God. Let this be the day that you would come into the light and turn from your trickeries and turn to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for scenes from history like this that you preserve for us that we might be able to see and be instructed. And God, we pray that you, your spirit would work this day to apply your word to each of us. That none of us would be able to look at that and say, I can't see anything in there that applies to me. But rather that your spirit would show us in what ways we are like them and how much we need the grace and mercy that you provide through Jesus. Father, we thank you that your grace is greater than our sin. We pray it in the name of Christ.